Y'all, uh, y'all remember that song. We'll get back to a lot of those words and those concepts. Um, but first, let's, uh, as we continue on this journey, remembering Palm Sunday, let's hear from David Smith, one of the children's Sunday school class teachers. Hello, children, young and old. Our uh, section in God's Word for today is, for some reason, bringing me back to the 1960s. I grew up in that era, and it was an era that was very much a coming of age for rock and roll. Um, You know, nowadays, we talk about rock stars as really just the idols, the people out there who have mega talents and superstars. But um, I remember at about 12, 13, or 14, there was this show which was kind of like the Who's Got Talent of the time, Ed Sullivan. And as I watched this one group introduce, the Beatles, I thought, yeah, their music is good, it's catching, but what I especially noticed were the crowds. We're talking about a crowd of cute girls sitting there screaming, they were fainting, they were just crying at times. And I just didn't quite figure out what that was about. But I did think, whatever that Fab Four has, I would like. It's like that appeal, that power, that popularity. And, and that's what often happens. We look at these rock stars as having the wealth. And, uh, you know, the 60s were confusing times. Um, but nowadays it's confusing times as well. Nowadays, and I think even back in the time of Jesus, things were confusing. Um, whatever the age... We're drawn, though, to rock stars, people with that influence. The truth I found from this section we're going to read is that we are drawn to folks with that prestige power, and uh, yet we fail to understand often that the only saving power is from the true rock star, Jesus the Christ. Because those lives of the rock stars back then and even today they often are not good in the, in the end. So the, the account that you'll hear in John 12, 9 to 19, an exciting one that will be read shortly, but it starts in a context of Jesus starting to become popular to many. They started hearing about his miracles. And this one in particular of Lazarus. Lazarus was a good friend of his and known by many, and he dies. Now we're talking about dead for several days, and Jesus, by many of Uh, witnesses, was raised, and he became alive again, and so people start to think, maybe he's the Messiah. Unfortunately, the power that they wanted to be saved from was Roman rule. They were missing it, and even the religious leaders at the time, they were unfortunately not liking even Jesus to be the Messiah, because they wanted to be the rock stars. The power of jealousy and their own envy is what was taking over. I remember being confused as a child. Go for Palm Sunday and get these nice little palms. What did I use them for? I was with my buddies using a sword. (laughs) I didn't get it. Well, I think uh, what I did get, though, eventually, was the sword talked about as God's word cut right through my heart and taught me that uh, Jesus is the Lord of all. He is the rock star. He's a misunderstood rock star. Many people make him out to what he would be. We all, though, have hearts that are yearning to worship someone or something. Hearts that know about our own mistakes. We know about our brokenness and the brokenness of the world. And I'm just so thankful that God 
reached into my heart, gave me the gift of faith that Jesus is the rock star. Psalm 114 says, Praise be to the Lord, my rock. And then Peter, one of his followers, he eventually, after Jesus died and was raised again to heaven, Peter then goes out with no fear, even going to those religious leaders, claiming in Acts 4, the stone you rejected is the capstone of our faith. So, again, the confusion even now, most believe Jesus lived, that he was a good person, did good things. Um, But there's no doubt in my mind, and I hope yours, that because of God's power to get in and give me the gift of faith, salvation is found only in Jesus. He has saved me from my mistakes. He has saved me from myself. And he saved me from death one day. Uh, he died using the power to be, as God, he was God's son. He gave up his life in my place. And so I found that uh, I spend less time worrying about who I am um, or maybe who's got talent. <laughs> now I have the joy of knowing whose I am, God's child. And as a child of God, I'm just so excited, and I hope one day you'll be with me, whether we greet Jesus as he comes before we die or at the time that we die into heaven. I mean, I'll be screaming, fainting, um, with joy, having shouts, because the real rock star Jesus is there. And uh, what a rock concert that's going to be. I just wonder, hmm, maybe I'll be even saying, I want to hold your hand. Well, happy Palm Sunday, friends. Thanks, David. And uh, a great uh, presentation that sort of cuts through the the confusion and the uncertainty and the chaos of Palm Sunday uh, that I think has great application for us today. Um, I I think Palm Sunday is a, a, a great story to consider and to reflect on and to apply in our own lives as we've seen our our fair share of confusion and change and uncertainty over the last 12 plus months. I was watching uh, the the new Justice League movie, the four-hour one. Um, Still not finished yet. Uh, Very thankful for pause buttons. Um, but in the beginning of, of that, uh, one of the superheroes is, is talking about change and this change machine that they found. And they said, you know, you're saying something very true. Change is neither good nor bad. Change can bring healing or change can bring destruction. Change can bring life or change can bring death. And he goes on to say what it depends on is how we respond to change, how we lead change, how we direct it. And what we see in this passage is that Jesus brings change. And it's going to cause a lot of confusion. But what we'll look and see is how did the different factions, the different groups, the crowds, the religious leaders and the disciples, how did they respond to the change that Jesus is bringing and the onset of that confusion and uncertainty, that, that chaos. Um, how, how did the crowd, how did the religious leaders respond 
to the change that Jesus brings and how does that inform our lives today as to how we engage with change. Our passage is in John chapter 12. Uh, We'll start with verse 9 and uh, uh, read from there. Let's uh, pray together. Almighty God, again, we thank you for your written word as it speaks to us of your truth. Now, um, lead and guide us. Continue in the power of your spirit to change us for your glory, for your honor, for the good that you have for us so that we individually and as a community will be more and more like Christ. May your spirit have rule and reign over us as we hear from you. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Uh, John chapter 12, starting with verse 9. When the large crowds of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he'd raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I mean, this is a crazy story here. I mean, some pretty odd reactions and responses to to Jesus uh, from the religious leaders, from his disciples to the crowd. Let's just unpack a little bit here. How did they respond to the uncertainty, the the, the chaos, uh, the, the pain, the loss, the change that Jesus is going to bring and is bringing to them at this time? Um, We'll, we'll look first at the crowd, then we'll, uh, we'll look at the religious leaders. Um, but the, the crowd, we'll see here, they, you might see them as the heroes at first, right? Because look at what they're doing. I mean, they're, they're shouting Jesus praise. They're quoting Bible verses. And compared to the religious leaders, they don't want to kill Jesus. So that's got to be a good thing. So they look like they're the heroes, but actually what we'll see here is that the crowd, they want to use Jesus to obtain the power they don't have. The crowd wants to use Jesus 
to obtain the power that they don't have. I mean, now what they're longing for, that power they don't have, isn't a bad thing. I mean, they're an oppressed people under Roman rule. They, they want Jesus to lead their nation out of oppression to Roman rule, government, and taxes. That, that, that's not a bad thing. But they're using Jesus to get it. You start to see this in, in verse 9. And maybe even when you read verse 9, you maybe squirmed a little bit. Um, that the, the large crowd of the Jesus uh, of the, the Jews learned that Jesus was there. They came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he'd raised from the dead. That's always a problem. When it's Jesus and something. That'll always make us squirm a little bit when we think about that from as we hear it from others or if we experience ourselves. I mean, there is nothing on the same page as Jesus. There's nothing in the same paragraph. There's nothing on the same plane. There is nothing on the marquee. There's no undercard. You know, no warm-up singers for Jesus. He is it. He and He alone. There's no Jesus and. Hey, I want to go hear Jesus, but I really want to see Lazarus. I want to see the guy he raised from the dead. Because if he can raise people from the dead, then we can go do what we want to do. And he'll just raise us from the dead. And we'll oppose these leaders who are oppressing us. I mean, this is serious Ten Commandment stuff. I shall have no other God besides thee. So there's no Jesus and anything. There's no Jesus and family. Now, these ands can be good things. There's no Jesus and happiness. There's no Jesus and health. There's no Jesus and prosperity. There's no Jesus and country. It is Jesus. There is no and except for the commands that he gives that we're to follow. And a lot of those commands speak to those things like health and prosperity and family and country. But if we add anything on... That is idolatry. And here's the problem. We, we fall in the same trap as the crowds. We're going to use Jesus to get what we want. But if we don't get what we want, then we get rid of Jesus because our real God is what we want. And isn't that what happened to the crowd? That's where they are a week from, or even less than that, six days from today. We, we also see here that what the crowds are about really is God and country. They're about Israel. They're about the nation of Israel. The first clue that we don't really know, but the first clue that any reader of the first century would know are the palms. Waving palms is sort of like waving their national flag. So whatever nation you're from, you can imagine that instead of palms in their hand, it would be the flag of your nation. That's what they were waving. And, and they even, uh, you also see it as well in Psalm 118 that they quote, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But go back and read Psalm 118. They add something to it. 
They add a little element to it. The, even the king of Israel, especially the king of Israel, well, that's not the point of Psalm 118. Go back and read Psalm 118. It, it is, it is a, a, about a, a people who are committed to following God even in hard times. And, and they quote just a section, add a little bit on, as a nationalistic cry for Jesus to save their nation and remove them. From the pain and agony that they're in now. John also gives us a little hint of this. And and why Palm Sunday is confusing. And why that song was perfect. Majesty and meekness. And maybe you had the same sort of hitch in your reading. When you read. And when we read Zechariah that John quotes. Here. About. The king, majesty, coming in on a baby donkey. That just, that doesn't fit, does it? I mean, what king comes in on a baby donkey? At least he's going to come in in a Budweiser, you know, um, horse, right? Clydesdale, something, at least something like that. Better yet, an, an F-15 fighter jet. <laughs> you know, that, that, something like that's when a king is going to come in, not on a donkey. I mean, that ought to be right there, sort of, whoa, cognitive dissonance. Well, I want you to hear the whole of Zechariah 9 and 10. And what you're going to hear is it's actually about relinquishing power. It's about demilitarization even. And the peace of the world. Not... National resurgence, which is what the Jews wanted. Here, look at Zechariah 9, 9 through 10, 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. So he's talking to Israel. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble, mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. It's not just a donkey, but a child one. I will cut... Here's the demilitarization part. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace to Israel? No. To the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, from river to the end of the earth. That's the king that Jesus represents coming on a donkey on Palm Sunday. The crowd is using the palms and the psalms for nationalistic symbols of military victory. But God means for this king to be a suffering servant who sacrifices his love for the world. Jesus is coming not as a grandiose king uh, sitting in the, the battle seat of destructive power. But a humble king of sacrificial love for the world. The crowds want power they don't have against an oppressive ruler. And they're ready to use Jesus to get it. Now friends, this is a great corrective to an idolatry that continues in our world this day. It's called Christian nationalism. 
Somehow, whatever nation we're from, we relate to that nation as special. More special to God than other nations. Maybe even if thought of that nation to be like Israel. It's certainly been the case for me as an American. That's certainly been a part of what I've been taught. And you can see it when you see the cross draped with the American flag. Or political leaders taking biblical language to bolster their position or their candidacy. I want to read for you a quote, a direct quote, from a political speech from last fall. Now, if you're a Bible student, you'll hear echoes of Hebrews, of the book of Hebrews in this. But you'll catch where Jesus is replaced with national symbols. Similar to what the crowd was doing here. Which is idolatry. Or very dangerous. Here's the quote. Let's run the race marked out for us. You might hear echoes of Hebrews right there. Let's run the race marked out for us. Let's fix our eyes. You might be able to remember. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, let's fix our eyes on old glory and all she represents. Let's fix our eyes on this land of heroes and let their courage inspire. And let's fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith and freedom. And never forget... That where the Spirit of the Lord is, ah, now the Lord comes in. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that means freedom always wins. Now, that is at best confusing. At worst, it is dangerous and idolatrous. But an example of this Christian nationalism that has been around since Jesus exactly what the crowd was doing then and what we must be sure we must guard against. Because those and things, the devil doesn't use bad things to put next to Jesus. The devil brings in good things. Things that we should promote and encourage. But the devil tries to take what is a good thing and somehow connect it to Jesus and then make us idolaters. And this is one that was true then and is true now. Friends, Jesus is our love and our pursuit and our sole and only allegiance. There are no ands. But I mentioned earlier, but there are commands. And I believe this is one of the greatest dangers to the witness of the church in our land today. Christian nationalism that puts nation somehow on par with Jesus. And, and uses that in, in a way that keeps us from saying, no, what Jesus has told us. He's given us his commands. And that is to love God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and our neighbor as ourself. And he's added a little bit of fleshing that out, that we are also to love not only our neighbor, but we're especially to love one another, who are followers of Jesus together. And he adds to it, and you got to love your enemy as well. Those are two full-time jobs uh, enough for me. I don't need an and. That is what we are about. Following 
Jesus. And this, this is true for any nation. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't, don't get me wrong about anything that is about what I'm... I'm not saying anything about any of the nations. I'm saying a whole lot about Jesus. But for me, in our nation, and, and for many of you, my, my nation, and for many of you, yours, I mean, there are great things about uh, America that I, as I follow the commands of Jesus, that I want to affirm. I mean, some of our founding documents, and we talked about this when we were talking about justice. It's good stuff. You know, we, we understand and believe, yes, that God has created us all human beings equal, of equal value, of equal importance. And that our Creator has given all human beings inalienable rights. Man, that's Genesis 1 kind of stuff. I can jump on board with that as I'm following the commands of Jesus and as a follower of Jesus, continuing to call us, even as a nation, to follow what we say are our founding documents. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying disengage. I'm not throwing any kind of shade on anything. I'm shining the spotlight on Jesus. So the crowd reacted to the change by using Jesus to make them great, to get power that they don't have. What did the religious leaders do? How did they respond? How did they respond to the change that Jesus is bringing? The religious leaders, on the other hand, they used Jesus to keep the power they already have. The religious leaders use Jesus to keep the power they already have. I mean, this is, it's almost funny uh, if it weren't so tragic. I mean, Jesus is seen as an evil force who threatens them because of his great power to raise people from the dead. How do you get that logic? I don't know how you get there. I mean, they're so drunk with power and influence and position. They see this carpenter's son who has this great following, who's great power to, to bring a man from the dead who, who suffered an untimely death. That, and now they want to kill him and the man he raised from the dead. I mean, look particularly at verse 19. This really brings it to the... I mean, this reveals it plainly. The, the Pharisees are talking to one another. And this is uh, remind you what they said to each other. You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. You know, to, to summarize that, to rephrase that question, you know what they're saying to one another? What is this? What does this guy do for you? I mean, it's all about him. It's all about me. It's all about what do you do for me? What is Jesus doing for us? Look, he's not doing anything to help you with your goals and your dreams. Who cares what the world gets? What about me? I mean, that's what the Pharisees are saying to one another. This is the disease of the Pharisees. What does Jesus do for me? Does Jesus help my position, my commitments, my traditions? If not, then let's move on and let's find someone who will. This is another way to handle change. 
to handle opposition, to handle differences. Silence them. Get rid of them. Now, make them less than human. And we see this today in the whole movement of cancel culture. Where groups of all kinds use their power to silence the opposition instead of listen and engage and still disagree. Still promote an alternative. And you see it on college campuses these days where folks who speak a minority viewpoint get shouted down or fired, released. You see it where retailers who own huge elements of the book market just don't sell certain books they don't agree with. Now, I know this is a complex issue. I totally get that. Because we we don't want to promote what are lies, what are falsehoods. But it's clear that there's a growing movement just like the Pharisees, I'm going to keep the position I have and I'm going to do that by silencing you. But you see in both situations, both with cancel culture and Christian nationalism, there are natural reactions in times of change and chaos and uncertainty like we're facing today. We pick sides and stay there, circle the wagon and just Overload the other side in whatever way we can. Instead of Jesus' followers following the ways of Jesus. Openly and honestly. I I know, this is radical. He's a radical God. Meekness and majesty. But we know the rest of the story. We know what Jesus does here. We see him on this journey. He gets on the donkey. Don't you think at some point he might have said, Hey, can I get something bigger? You know, something. Let let me flank me with some other, you know, uh, wingmen or something. But no, Jesus relinquishes power and position and life. Out of obedient love to the Father and sacrificial love for the world. Jesus relinquishes power out of obedient, trusting love to the Father and sacrificial love of salvation to the world. He goes the way of death. He he uses this power by relinquishing it to rescue the world. He takes the path of the cross. He doesn't use his power to silence those that disagree with him. He follows the ways of the Father. He he doesn't hear the cries of the crowd beckoning him, wanting him to, to come and lead them in their power grab. He listens and follows the ways of the Father in sacrificial love, and complete dependence on God. And brothers and sisters in Christ, He calls us to do the same. If you're my disciples, He says, deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Now, 
That's confusing. That, that, you know, that, that's not an easy message to present. You know, that's not like, hey, I'm going to bring a bunch of people together that don't know Jesus and give you this message. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. But that's what Jesus said. And more importantly, though, what does give it gravitas is that's what he did. But in the midst of that, in the midst of all that, in the midst of that confusion, that change, that chaos, the disciples are there in the midst of all this power struggle. And what I love with them is the disciples, they just don't get it. You know, that makes me feel good. Do you find solace there that the disciples are there saying, I don't understand what's going on. Some of them probably sided more with the crowd. Some of them because Jesus had a diverse group. He had some that he pulled from the, the, the Jewish you know, aristocracy and hierarchy. And so they were with the religious leaders and others who were more of the folks that were working in the streets. And that, that was more the Jewish crowd. And he had some of them with him too. So because he had that, he probably had, he, he had you know, his disciples, folks that were leaning either way. But his closest followers were confused and uncertain. And they did the wisest thing. They just hung with Jesus. They waited and they do a little time travel here in the passage where they write back into that story and say, hey, when we were there, we didn't know what was going on. But, but after we saw what happened, you know, after his life, his death, his resurrection, him hanging out with us for 40 days, ascending to the Father, sending the Holy Spirit upon us, it's like, oh... That's what you're doing. You ever had those kind of moments with God? Oh, that's what you're doing. That's why we do that. I, I one of those, uh, I do, uh, uh, periodically I'll do premarital counseling. I used to do a, a lot more of it, um, uh, days gone by. And one of the questions I'd ask folks, uh, er, when er, first uh, couple comes, I'd come and ask them, uh, are, are you having sex with each other? And, uh, didn't make them answer. But I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to have a fast until your marriage day, on that day, if that's what, if you are. I want you to fast from that. And I can remember one, one guy, he didn't know me, his fiance knew, knew me well. He just looked at me bug-eyed saying, who is this guy? What's he saying? But he was the one person that came back to me after the wedding to say, thanks. That was the best advice I got. Because the reason I tell them to do that is that, you know, today our world tells us that this is part of the relationship. But God says, no, the part of the, the relationship is the intellectual, the spiritual, the emotional, the, the physical, the sexual. That comes as a culmination of the commitment that you make to one another. But uh, in this time, I want you just to wait and you'll understand that. And, and he did. And he, he's one that can't. Oh, yeah, this is why. Because he realized he was able to give himself totally and fully because any time the, the distraction of the libido would come, he just, ah, nope, putting that aside. And we're focusing on our relationship and what we're planning together. You, you know, you have those. You have those oh yeah moments. Even after the, the worst of times. And so what the disciples are, are telling us, that as they reflect on the whole story, God, they're saying, just, just stay close 
to him. The disciples, they didn't choose sides. They stayed focused on Jesus. Man, I'm sure they were filled with fear and anxiety, and we know they were. But they stayed focused on Jesus, even in their own denial. Even in the way that they ran away from him, in the, the, the crux of the moment, which we'll read later on this week. They still came back around. They still came back to him. And now they're giving us the wisdom of being on the other side of Jesus' glorification, saying, just stay there. Don't try to figure it all out. Stay focused on Jesus. And all of them did, except for Judas, who decided to play his own game. You know, he, he... He, again, used Jesus for what he could do for him. Hey, the best way I can use Jesus now, I can get a little money. I can care for myself. Turn him over. Betray him. But the disciples, in their own ragtag, incomplete, sinful way, they stayed with Jesus. And and what what the disciples are telling us here, with this little time travel, looking back, he's saying, here's the good news. God's plan always survives and thrives and is ultimately victorious. Even in the face of the greatest chaos, the greatest confusion, the greatest evil you can ever imagine. Because they experienced that. They experienced the greatest act of innocent suffering the world has ever seen. Here was Jesus who had no sin, who even brought the power of life, raised people from the dead, and yet he had to die. He deserved to die not one iota, but he chose to die so that we might be able to live in him forever. It was the greatest act of sacrificial love. In the moment, it looked like the the greatest act of horror. But God brought life even out of the greatest death the world has ever seen. God took the lead, as he always does, and leads change so that it brings life. The same can happen for me, for you, for us. In times of the greatest pain, the greatest chaos, the greatest confusion and uncertainty, let the disciples be our guide. Stay close to Jesus. Even in our confusion, even in our sin, even in our anger, even in our uncertainty, don't pick sides. Don't take the easy way out. Don't give in to fear. Hold on to Jesus. God knows the way. God's kingdom will always win. Even in the midst of chaos, confusion, and change. Even death does not stop God's kingdom. Matter of fact, God so powerful, He uses death to bring about His ultimate victory. So friends, keep on holding to Jesus. I know that that we have lost loved ones. We have suffered pain. We have suffered grief. We have suffered change and the loss that it brings. We are still in the midst of being filled with anger and anxiety. We don't even know where it comes from because of all the change we've been surrounded by and having to engage. Hold on to Jesus. Others of you have suffered economic catastrophe. 
You've suffered the loss of jobs or businesses. Don't resort to the world's means. Don't resort to illegal or unethical means. Don't betray Jesus. Hang on to Him. Let's hang on to Him together. He provides the way. As He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And nothing stops His kingdom. God's ways will always multiply, grow, and bring life in the end. And friends, it's not just for us. It's for the world. That's why Jesus has called us to to be a community of people who are sold out on Him for the world. Because the world needs to see a group of people who are, are diverse, who, who vote differently, who have different economic backgrounds, who have different perspectives, but who are united, committed to following Jesus together in the midst of an uncertain, crazy, chaotic, changing world. And what kind of witness would that be? What kind of witness would that be when we, as we, as we pray, we have one mission to follow Him and we're not going to pick sides. We're not going to cancel anybody. We're not going to say one uh, nation is better than another. Let us refuse the temptations of this world. To keep the power we have or to try to rest in this chaotic time the power we don't have for ourselves. Let our efforts be to follow Jesus to love Jesus and His commands to love neighbor, to love one another, to love our enemy. And then, may He in the power of His Spirit let us be a witness to the world that they might truly know we're His disciples by our love for one another. No matter what the change, because I don't know what tomorrow brings. I don't know what next month brings, and neither do you, and neither is anything we read, but we know Jesus is the one that leads us through. Let us hang on to Jesus, for in the end, we know then a day will come when we will understand and we will enjoy His ultimate victory. Amen.